welcome everyone to the New Schooled Podcast. My name is Tamar Huggins. I am your host. I am also the founder and CEO of TechSpark Canada. New Schooled is a podcast about education, equity, culturally responsive teaching, and innovative ways that we can connect and engage with our students. Tonight on the podcast, I have an amazing team member of mine, Timothy Jones, and tonight we're going to talk about hip-hop pedagogy, youth development, and engagement design. Timothy, welcome to the New Schooled Podcast. Thank you for having me, Tamar, and I am so excited to have this conversation with you on this podcast. Amazing. So before we begin, I would love for you to take some time to introduce yourself, talk about your background and the work that you do at TechSpark. Okay. Uh, As you stated, my name is Timothy Jones. I am a product of Brooklyn, New York in the States. Uh, I currently reside in the Maryland area outside of the District of Columbia. I like to say that I grew up with hip hop. I actually was engaging with hip hop before I actually knew that it was hip hop. But in college is where I would say I began to engage with it in a much more thoughtful manner. And that evolved into beginning to work with it from a pedagogical standpoint. Uh, I've also spent more than 20 years running after school programs for high school students. And it was there that I really began to hone my skills in bringing together what now is viewed as hip hop pedagogy and youth development that I like to say that on the time at the time when I was just starting in the early to mid 90s, a lot of these frameworks weren't very popularized at the time. And so we were really just doing what we needed to do to keep teenagers engaged. And if anybody's worked with teenagers, working with them inside of a school setting is one challenge, but working with them where they voluntarily come to you, that was another challenge, but it was a great reward. And so looking back, I was a practitioner of what is hip hop pedagogy and working towards youth development outcomes and creating opportunities for engagement my whole career in this space that spans now for about 25 years. And with TechSpark, I have the pleasure to be part of a great pioneering effort when it comes to curriculum design and training and the flagship curriculum that I've had the opportunity to lead the design efforts for is around entrepreneurship, focusing on 11th graders. And it's a curriculum where young people actually get to create businesses that are viable and real. And we're just excited about how that's beginning to be rolled out as well as working with teachers and infusing training around Uh, implicit bias, as well as culturally responsive teaching. So just uh, a great time. And I've really enjoyed my time working with TechSpark and knowing that the best is yet to come. So when you and I met, Timothy, it was a few years ago. I'm thinking it was about two years now. Uh, Yes, it was. It was about it's been about it's been about two years. Yes. Yeah. So two years ago, I met you via Twitter. So I was following the hip hop ed community 
and engaging there as I was really looking to learn more about how we could bring in different methods of teaching and engaging young people with TechSpark. Because as you mentioned, working with teenagers is an amazing experience. And it's also a challenging experience in terms of keeping them engaged outside and sometimes inside of the school as well. And one of the things that really stood out to me was that you're, excuse me, you're passionate, extremely passionate about young people. And that's one of the things that I always look for when I'm bringing people on board. And that was definitely a standout piece for me. Also, you know, your background is very multifaceted. It's amazing. Obviously, when you hear hip hop pedagogy and hip hop ed, the first thing people are going to think about is, well, first of all, what is that? And secondly, you know, is it just about music? So why don't you just jump in and explain to us what hip hop pedagogy is all about? Okay. Hip hop pedagogy and hip hop ed, I think as I start to define them, there's definitely an overlap, but the way that it drives my work and the working definition that I am a proponent and and a practitioner of is actually the identification of scholarship within hip hop as it plays out as a culture. Oftentimes people think about hip hop pedagogy and hip hop ed from a narrow view or a narrow lens rather where they're just thinking about the students rapping to better understand the content that already lives inside of the school. And that can be a very powerful demonstration of the pedagogy. So I don't want to I don't want to minimize it, but I want to expand the lens and begin to look at hip hop in and of itself as scholarship. Uh, For example, there is a new commercial for the Pathfinder truck and it's featuring Just Blaze, who is an amazing hip hop producer, worked with Jay-Z and the likes throughout throughout hip-hop and even other genres and he starts to introduce himself leading off with his focus on math by being a producer and so for me that's the ultimate definition of hip-hop pedagogy and hip-hop ed is that when you begin to see the presence of core content as we would define it from a school sense, being present within hip hop. So if you have someone who's producing music, whether they realize it or not, they're operating in mathematic principles all the time. In order for them to even know whether something is on beat or off beat, they're studying tempo, they're doing the math, they're actually doing it with their ears, let alone sitting down and trying to figure it out on a worksheet, they're mastering fractions. If you think about uh, that person who is doing uh, graffiti and they're taking things to scale, so then you're dealing with geometry. So when we talk about hip hop pedagogy, it's seeing the scholarship in hip hop, but then it also is looking at hip hop even beyond the practitioners of the arts. 
Like you could look at uh, ciphering and the way that people come together and the power of the circle and an exchange. What does that look like in the classroom? If you look at how a song is produced and you have all of these different industries coming together, what does that look like in the classroom so that the teacher is not the only person that is in charge of bringing knowledge into that space, that everybody's knowledge is welcome and through synthesis, we come together and create an experience in that classroom that couldn't be replicated if any of those other pieces were missing. So those are some of the strategies that we look at with hip hop when we talk about hip hop pedagogy and hip hop education. To what degree do you incorporate the works of others into your own? Uh, for me, that's an interesting question because as much as I operate in the hip hop ed space, uh, that's how you and I met, uh, right. moderating the chat, working closely with Dr. Chris Emden and other mm -hmm. scholars, I am not part of the academy. Uh, and by not being part of the academy, I really don't do that same type of research that a lot of those individuals in the academy will do. And so as they are working on what their work is going to be, they validate the their theory based on researching someone else's and connecting the dots and connecting the dots. And for this, pro this podcast and given the topic of this podcast, I'm going to be as honest and truthful as I can. Please. When I could say, I think about Erickson's stages of psychosocial development, and I focus a lot on stage five, which focuses on adolescence. But even within that, I focus a lot on this notion of a psychosocial moratorium, which is often offered to young people who come from more affluent black backgrounds, excuse me. So I, I build off of that and I build off of that in a hip hop context. I love Bloom's taxonomy of higher order thinking. Uh, I think that hip hop is one of the greatest examples of synthesis that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. So if I was thinking about whose works, a, a lot of my work really would be anchored in those frameworks because from there, that's where I've put together activities that promote creative writing and critical thinking and, and the like. So for other scholars, I could say while running hip hop ed, I may have been influenced by coming across and interacting with them, but I couldn't sit here and run off this person's work. And I pulled this from there because I am not part of that world as that is part of the ecosystem that is hip hop education and hip hop pedagogy. So you had mentioned in your response that you weren't from the academy. So yes. that I take that to mean as, as being like a classically trained teacher. Yes, I, I'm not a formally trained teacher. And actually my pathway into education was through the out of school time world right. where I began to partner with schools and I also uh, worked with an organization called Writers Corps, which is part of AmeriCorps, 
And we went into schools and were teaching creative writing workshops. And this was in 1996. And so that was my entree into actually entering into a classroom space. But I still was representing the community as opposed to being a formally trained teacher. And I was teaching creative writing. And I began to teach creative writing based on hip hop lyrics because that was the literature that I knew best because my degree was in business. So I didn't have any education background from my years in college, nor had I taken literature classes. So the thought of teaching creative writing, I focused on the canon that I was most familiar with and those were hip hop lyrics. Right. And so one of the, one of the amazing aspects that I feel you bring to TechSpark and just to the educator experience period is that you are bringing in those life experiences. You are bringing other elements that oftentimes a teacher may not even know how to bring into the classroom, right? There are a lot of teachers who, you know, are struggling with keeping their students engaged and they're seeing TikTok videos of teachers, you know, rapping lyrics, you know, to Cardi B and, you know, and, and students are going crazy. And then there are teachers who are thinking, wow, like, do I really need to do that in order to engage with my students? And so what I wanted to share was that you don't necessarily have to be a classically trained teacher to teach students to educate students exactly oftentimes when you are a person from the outside looking in you bring a different perspective and a viewpoint that those who are you know within the problem that we're trying to solve oftentimes can't see because they're so connected to it You know what I mean? And so when educators come into the space like you that have that gift of teaching, because let's face it, there are a lot of people who went to school to teach that don't have the gift to teach. Okay. Come on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We know anyways, those who are called, we know that you you don't have to be validated. Um, And, you know, we always know that those who are called to do a job are called because they have that gifting within them, not necessarily that they've been qualified by other individuals or institutions. So what I would like for you to share with our audience is how can other educators who are maybe not classically trained have more meaningful experiences with students. When I say meaningful, I mean more impactful in the sense of, you know, maybe working within the education system. Maybe they want to make that leap from, you know, working with students outside of school to actually being a part of the education system. How can they position themselves for um, a role within schools? You know, and, and this is not an intentional plug, but I, I could say uh, being blessed to be coming a part of the TechSpark family. And I'll use that for an example. And maybe other listeners can find another organization or, or pathway that is similar, that TechSpark has begun and may pave the way to create the relationships with the school districts and the teachers. So then when I come in and I say, 
not just I'm Timothy Jones, but I'm able to say I'm the director of curriculum development for TechSpark. That actually becomes the validation that is just human nature that you want to hear some type of connection that makes you feel like, okay, let me listen to what this person has to say. Uh, uh, Not too long ago, I did a training with a group of educators from the Peel School District. And I was having a conversation afterwards with a, a really close friend of mine. And I had told her, this was the first time in my professional career, I did a training and I did not mention the college university that I graduated from. Wow. Because it wasn't important. It was just focusing on the collective group, validating everybody in the group is having something to offer. And mm-hmm. then the content and the context just led the way. And by the end of the second day, or even by the end of the first day, they were following, honestly, the leadership in what we were bringing as TechSpark because they saw that it was helping them. They didn't then say, okay, well, I know this is really helping me, but before I accept this help, can you please tell me where you studied and who you published with and this, that, and the other? And and so I would say for individuals who may find themselves in what they may call non-traditional spaces, we're coming out of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Students are coming back into the classroom And you can't just focus on dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You have to be in a position to engage with that whole student. And that means having effective partnerships. So I'm not coming into school to try to become the math teacher. But if I spend some time with that math teacher, the first thing I'm going to do is tap into that math teacher. What made you fall in love with math? Right. Because based upon what made you fall in love with math, if you hold on to that, the way you then present math is going to come across more endearing and more sincere because you're presenting it from your love point. So then that opens the space for the students to enter in with what it is that they love to do. And so now we're going to create this huge scavenger hunt. Let's find math and whatever it is that we want to do and we love to do. And so now when we go through the curriculum, we're going through the curriculum with all of this variety of context to be able to plug it in. So we're studying uh, the Pythagorean theorem. Oh, where are my skateboarders? Okay, we use Pythagorean theorem. We're designing a ramp. Okay, we're working on derivatives or geometry. And, you know, where are my people that like to build? So that's the type of work when I talk about kind of codifying it as an engagement strategist is really working with the educators to get them to bring their whole selves into the academic space. Because just as students get limited when they're only viewed as students, I think teachers get limited when they're only viewed as operating in their professional lens and they don't get the opportunity to bring in their pastime and their perspective and their passion to create that space so that the student can feel more comfortable because they feel like they're really getting to know the teacher and not just get to know the content. That is so powerful. 
so powerful and deeply profound when you really think about it, having the teacher present themselves as more than just the teacher. Oftentimes teachers feel as though, you know, they have to be that professional, that authoritarian, that, you know, the 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 knowledge keeper. And, and it's almost like they forget, not all of them, but sometimes they forget to be human or they forget that their students are human. Yes. Right? And so I wanted to pose this question to you. What do you feel needs to be in place to allow teachers to feel like they can bring more of themselves into the teaching space? I think that there has to be opportunities, whether it's falling under the time that they do professional development, there has to be opportunities for the, the group of teachers to really bring themselves, get to know themselves. I think there should be opportunities for cross-pollination in right. creating of content. That if you think about the work we do at TechSpark, there isn't a tech department and a science department and a math department. We just work on tasks that pull on the different expertise and skills as they relate to getting that project done. That's real life. But right. yet in schools, oh, I represent the math department. I'm the English department. I'm mm -hmm. part of the science department. I'm part of the guidance department. And they may be on separate floors and different corridors. And even when they come together, they're not really coming together with the opportunity to work together. And so I would love to see what type of lessons or activities could be birthed if they work together. And then when we talk about culturally responsive uh, pedagogy and, and culturally relevant pedagogy and teaching, I think we have to create the space for the teachers to feel that they're the first partakers of that. Right. And, and, and so I think that space has to be given uh, as well as helping the teachers to see their students as being more capable than what may be present on a particular test or their prior achievement. That there is so much, if you think about us as professionals, there are certain aspects about me that makes me who I am that will never make it to a resume. So then when your students walk in the room, there are some aspects about them that will never make it on a grade sheet. And so just as that teacher and that student, we I think we have to tap into those other elements because that's where the value of life comes into play. And I'll, I'll just pause there. I think just having having a level of intentionality in what that looks like and then understanding that that may look different for every section that you teach that should look different every year that you teach right you know like tech spark we're six years old we wouldn't we don't want to act like we acted in year one right there may be some attributes from year one that we want to hold on to but we you know as much as we try to hold the hands of time time is undefeated and it's motion forward so as an educator do I want to come back after this pandemic and be the same way that I was before? Do I look at my students the same way? Just think about our own family relationships. If you have a conscience 
you don't look at family the same way coming out of this pandemic. Right. You don't look at life the same way coming out this pandemic. So you can't look at your profession as a teacher the same way. You can't look at your students the same way. And you can't look at education the same way. So when we talk about culturally responsive pedagogy or culturally relevant and responsive pedagogy or CRT, like there are so many different you yes. know, ways that we can address that. I know here in Canada, a few years ago, about 2000, I want to say 13 to 15, you know, our Ministry of Education created the framework of what a culturally responsive teacher looks and sounds like and behaves like, and really gave them an, a guideline of how they are supposed to conduct themselves within a space that is equitable for their students. And a lot of teachers are not really understanding how to apply that and how to take culturally responsive pedagogy and apply it to math or apply it to mm -hmm. science. And the school boards have been tasked with the responsibility of training teachers, obviously, in what CRP um, is supposed to look and feel like. But I wanted to uh, ask you to explain to our audience members, you know, what CRT, CRP is and how we can start to look at applying the concepts to learning. Okay. Uh, one, culturally responsive teaching and or culturally responsive pedagogy is the acknowledgement of the cultures and the identities and any other artifacts or aesthetics of your students and their communities that can be incorporated into your curriculum and your classroom to help them be successful in your school education system the way that it is. Culturally relevant pedagogy and culturally relevant teaching takes it takes it a step further because then what it does is not just about enabling the students and giving them what they need to be successful in the current system it actually adds that element of critical thinking it adds that element of activism and social justice so that the students will begin to ask the type of questions that lead to the actions to begin to change the system so that the system won't live so far from what is culturally responsive and culturally relevant. So there are clear distinctions and most schools have to do work to just become culturally responsive. So explain what that means. So that, as I said, with looking at curriculum, looking at um, even sometimes your rules and how your school is run, where did you factor in the, the culture and any cultural artifacts and aspects of identity of your students? And oftentimes we get caught up thinking that it is just solely about race and ethnicity, but our race 
doesn't give us an experience that is a monolith. Uh, you know what I mean? So, so if you're really going to be culturally responsive, you have to have the opportunities and supports in place to really get to know your students and and empower them so that they see themselves as true stakeholders in the class if your students only see themselves as i'm just here to get this grade and then i can move on i would dare say it's very challenging for you to really create a space that is culturally responsive and equitable uh and i think that it is part about what do you have to do to get the, the students to buy in and see that the true success of this class is not solely predicated on you as the teacher. As the teacher, you're responsible for setting the atmosphere where the students can see themselves operating in these roles. But uh, you have like Dr. Emden's reality pedagogy, which is an exemplar for what culturally responsive teaching looks like. You have um, the framework that's created by TechSpark, where we talk about community building and excitement and equity, and then there's pillars under each of those. And so there are some frameworks that are out there that are helping practitioners go from looking at CRT just from this theoretical lens to what it looks like in practice. Amazing. So there are two things that are popping out the side of my head one is talking about from the administrative perspective so when we look at boards who have you know equity teams equity diversity inclusion teams that are focused on bringing this type of work and the practicality training to the teachers so that they can then incorporate into their schools are oftentimes met with backlash when we talk about white fragility, right? And that being, you know, a huge issue with teachers understanding that this work needs to be done so that they can create an equitable space for their students and therefore increase the engagement and the rigor and the retention of those students. How do you feel? I have some ideas in my head. But how do you feel that administrators, those who are listening, who you know, may have the, the power to create change from the top down, what types of maybe protocol or frameworks do you feel will be needed at that level to address like the individual teachers who really need to sort of remove themselves? remove themselves from or move remove their biases rather from the work that needs to be done I, I think for for the administrators and other school leaders they have to be the torch bearers for establishing the culture and establishing a perspective and the perspective that has to be established is one where the teachers actually see a personal benefit to doing this work as opposed to, oh, I'm being pushed to do this work because it's politically correct and I don't want to offend. The truth of the matter is that as an educator, if you don't see 
and feel in your heart of hearts that I would want to show up to work more than I currently do now if I know that I'm walking into a space where my students feel validated, my students are stakeholders, my students are able to express themselves. We're learning together. We are teaching and learning and that interaction is happening. If that doesn't excite you as a teacher, then I think the profession is progressing past where you are. And that would be on the administrator. Right. You know, you if we look at sports analogies, that sometimes they'll say, oh, the game has passed by this particular coach and that coaching mm -hmm. style. So either you're going mm -hmm. to reinvent yourself to remain relevant right. or you're going to retire and go on to pastures and, and Godspeed. But for that teacher, you have to see a better version of yourself in this. You have to want to put in that work to address your implicit bias and where that comes from. You have to put in that work. What are my microaggressions? What are my triggers? What are some of the things that I've experienced in my lifetime that are causing me to think a certain way when particular types of students walk in or the history of this school is being passed down in such a way that I'm already prepared for the worst. So that's the work that has to be done from the admin down right. and but and so but then also in some we often talk about zero tolerance and being punitive with the students mm -hmm. i'm not saying to become zero tolerant with teachers but i do believe that from an administrator if you really want to be about this work you really have to set that tone and then you have to model it so mm -hmm the way that we want the teachers to maybe go at different ways and protocols of engaging the students, maybe you need to implement some new approaches and protocols to how you engage with the teachers and how you engage with the community. So there is a role that the administrators can play that go beyond the, you know, just signing off and paying the check. And so maybe making sure that that administrator shows up, but then also knows when to step away because sometimes the presence of that administrator uh, may cause some teachers to not be as open. So you have to know mm -hmm. that. So there's definitely work that can be done up, down, and and left and right. But I know that was a long answer, but I wanted to get into some of the things that administrators can begin to think about and do to really show that this is not just a mandate given that this is really a principle and value change that they want to see at their school. So what I'm hearing is they need to bring a spirit of Joe Clark to the work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, when you, when you really think about it, but it's like, okay, you had the spirit of Joe Clark, but then you also had the spirit of that principle where it's like, listen, I'm going to advocate because there are some teachers here that do care, but yeah. they just haven't had the opportunity. So there was some some grinding, but then eventually they got into mm -hmm. a space. But I know what you're saying in the sense of bringing that spirit of Joe Clark. One thing I'll say to that is the administrators and the teachers cannot teach thinking that their impact is limited to the hours that the young people are in the building. 
So when you're talking about Joe Clark, Joe Clark was hitting them streets. Right. Joe Clark was understanding where it's like, listen, if all of these students are this far behind, mm -hmm. there's no way that that can be all on the students. Right. So there was some Joe Clark isms that you are absolutely right. So mm -hmm. if this school has just perpetually been underperforming, you cannot sit here and not at some point turn that window into a mirror and look at yourself and ask mm -hmm. yourself, what are you doing or not doing? So in the movie we're talking about, they had to start doing things on Saturdays and all of these yeah. other things. If that's what it takes, mm -hmm. then because here's the thing, if anybody entered into education to get rich and they figured out how to do that, please share that with us <laughs> so we can, you know, put some rims on tech spark and, and, <laughs> and, and pip our ride. I mean, so, you know, but so, so, but, but in all honesty, we know the intent is there. The heart is there, mm -hmm. but we have to understand that there's a spiritual component to this. So mm -hmm. as things get more evil, as the obstacles mm -hmm. get greater, we have to work harder. We have to work different. We have to form partnerships. We have to form working allied alliances. It's not on the school to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a football program in the community where the, where the young people are running from after school to get to. Okay, let me support that football program because maybe the tutoring that I'm trying to offer after school where nobody shows up, if it was woven into the start of practice at the football club, the students would be paying attention and they'd be paying attention because it may be Coach Joe and Coach Sam who I'm working with to get them up to speed because they want to see their students succeed. So mm -hmm. that's where the, the ingenuity has to come into play. And we got to in some in some in some ways, we got to kind of take our crown off because mm -hmm. we are a teacher, because we have the plaques on the wall. Please don't think that you're the only person that can impart knowledge into these babies, because for the past year and a half. If they've been showing up and they've been doing work online, trust and believe somebody in their ecosystem has become a teacher. That's right. That's right. We've all become teachers. And, and if you don't find out who that is, if you don't engage your parents differently, mm -hmm. then it's on you. Please don't think that the parents are just here for the pep squad to sell the M&M candies and to raise money. You better sit down and start having some strategy meetings. You better sit down and start doing some learning assessments. You better really sit down and talk to some of these parents, grandparents, uncles, counselors mm -hmm. who really have rolled up their sleeves to not only keep the young people afloat, but actually give them a course of action where they're actually sailing. So when we talk about learning loss, I prefer to say we need to investigate the learning different. Right. You I know, love that. Because, love that. yeah, so because you think about, you know, think about that, that middle school daughter who mm -hmm. may have had to take on additional responsibilities because the family's home. Mm -hmm. So now, oh, she's been cooking. Oh, the, the son has been going to the store. Oh, okay. So now when I start teaching math, I got a whole new reality 
to bring into play that may not have been as prevalent before. Right. So now we could talk about going to the store and they'll be able to be like, yeah, I remember. And then I saw that. Why is it that when you get the gallon of milk, it, the price isn't exactly two times the price of the half gallon? And then why is it like, like so start to have these, mm -hmm. these are questions and, and real conversations that I'm sure have taken place that have academic content that if we don't tap into it and if we just treat them like everybody was learning loss and learning deficient because mm -hmm. they haven't been in our building, who do we think we are? Right. You know, you're talking about some communities that was teaching themselves how they were educating themselves when it was against the law to be educated. So you really mm -hmm. think that you got a monopoly on educating our babies? Come on. It's not business as usual. Exactly. One thing I've learned and experienced during this pandemic. I am a mother of two children, um, one school aged. And what I can definitely say is that this pandemic has uncovered a lot of <laughs> inequity, a lot. Mm -hmm. And really just uncovered the underbelly of the school system and just the nation as a whole anything that you can think of that has been impacting our young people that parents have been talking about for years. Yes, yes. Years, right? And now you can't hide from it. Exactly. You can't turn a blind eye. It's not business as usual. Nothing is going back to normal. You know, like Drake said, nothing was ever the same. It's just, it's a new day. And this pandemic has created so many opportunities for educators, for teachers and administrators to learn and take that learning and apply it to their craft. Just as you mentioned, going into the communities and that's part of you know, reality pedagogy. That's yes. one of the things that, that stood out to me the most was going into the communities, going to the church and seeing how yes. pastors connecting with their people and looking at the grandmothers and the grandfathers and how they're bringing in their, you know, storytelling aspects into their interactions with generations after them. Yeah. Right. Looking at parents and looking at, you know, the older siblings taking care of the younger siblings and bringing in that life experience into the math, into the social studies and to just, break down a lot of these yeah. walls that have been placed there that don't even really need to be there. And when you and when you think about what you what you just was saying that okay depending on the age of of the children mm -hmm. that you and and the, and the and the the job of the parent because mm -hmm. every profession was not able to become remote every parent wasn't able mm -hmm. to just work from home there were some parents who had to go in so there were some children whose responsibilities accelerated that's right and they did what they had to do to keep the family together mm -hmm. and so now come fall you can't treat them like they didn't just have this experience right you know because if say if i was 10 in march 2020 and i 
did remote the last part of last year, all of this school year. By the time I'm coming in, I'm almost 12. Yeah. But I'm not the same 12 as I would have been if it had not been for the pandemic. Right. So one, don't view my mom and dad as being neglectful because they had to work. Mm -hmm. And then two, don't then try to just put me in my place and rob me of the experiences that I gain by yeah. actually stepping up, taking care of my, my six-year-old little brother and paying attention to his work and just having certain conversations because our capacity to rise to the occasion when obstacles present themselves have to be respected in our spaces of learning. Right. Absolutely. Woo, that was yeah. a lot. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, you, you think about some of these individuals coming from communities that didn't have. I mean, some of us who are blessed and have more than enough, we was freaking out about toilet paper and paper towels. <laughs> yes. But imagine how households that were freaking out because of food. Yeah. Mm hmm. Which then connects to the need for toilet paper if you're eating, but that right, you, know, right. that's, you know, but I'm just saying in the hierarchy of things, right? You know, we were just making sure we had our bandwidth on the internet turned up enough so everybody could work. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there were people who were praying for that rent moratorium because they didn't have money for rent, they didn't have mm -hmm. money for food, right? Right. And as you said, this unearthed the inequities that were already there. So that's another thing that educators and, and school leaders and administrators, please don't think that everything was cool February 2020 and all of this began in March. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had to scramble to find Chromebooks or iPads to get them mm -hmm. to your students, the technology was invented before the pandemic. Right. As an educator, if you really struggled and could not make that pivot on how to incorporate technology into your teaching, that was a problem before the pandemic. That's right. If you didn't even know where your students lived and where they went and go to try to check up on them. And so now you're feeling the unction, but you're really starting your relationship from ground zero, but they've been at your school for years. That's not a pandemic issue. Right. You know, it's like, don't fall in love with me during the storm. Show me you love me by building something that will keep us covered when the rain comes. Amen. Amen. So, I love that. There you go. I love that. That was amazing. And you know, I feel the passion when you're speaking and it's, it's, I'm, I have goosebumps listening to you. I have goosebumps and I feel so activated in a way. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are listening to this, who are feeling that passion or feeling that unction to, to do more or to maybe do things differently. Yes. Um, one of the things that, that really stood out to me during the pandemic and, and working with schools and, and, those dealing with those inequities that were always there, um, that were just amplified. I remember a principal sharing a story about a few of her students 
that had no internet and they had to come to the school parking lot just to get access to pick up the signal yeah pick up the signal yeah pick up the signal so that they could have access to do the work so teachers can't say administrators can't say students don't want to learn or students are tired yeah they are tired because they've been working so hard yes yeah not only at the, the the shift in the in the way that the the content is being delivered to them but also with everything else that they have to deal with and these are the things that we have been trying to share with the community the teaching community for years is that we have to understand all of the other elements that are affecting our young people Yes. And affecting the way that they learn and how they learn. And, and and affecting their families. That's right. Can you imagine how that how those adults felt? We don't have internet. So now my child has to go to the parking lot. That's right. Like you know, let, let's let's stop evaluating the level of love based on the resources yeah that that parent doesn't love their child any less than you and i love our children but mm -hmm. we've been blessed to be able to not only give them what they need we give them what they want which goes above what they need but that's another okay. podcast episode but <laughs> just saying that to say but sometimes you think about it how we will frown down upon families who don't have. So just have that in mind when you even create your assignments. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in the parking lot to get the Wi-Fi signal, you definitely don't have a printer. That's right. <laughs> you know, and and I mean, and then you're in the parking lot in what? Right. So, so it's like all of these things and 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 the trauma just having to go through that and and sometimes you feel a sense of shame even though you shouldn't but we are human mm -hmm. and having to deal with all of that all of those things have to be addressed uh, i think when we come back there has to we have to deal with the reality of death there's going to be some students that are showing up who are in the middle of grieving. There are going to be some students that are going to show up and find that Ms. Johnson passed away from COVID and she's mm -hmm. not there anymore. But because the school was closed, we didn't really know. Right. Or some people have chosen to go into a different profession or they moved to be with their family. And mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not coming back. Right. You know, so there's all of this change that we have to really focus on. And then I think we really have to ask ourselves questions. Think about, you know, we still are measuring school in the amount of days and the amount of hours. How antiquated is that? Because when we're working remotely, for the most part, and in real life, it's more project driven. That's right. And and truthfully, the more astute I become in something, the faster I can do it. 
But if you still are only measuring and credentialing me based upon time, then you're actually incentivizing me to work slower. That's true. And, and as a CEO, if you start to see that in your company, you would immediately address it. But mm -hmm. schools are set up that exact same way. Wow. So you think about it. And if we're so because I don't care how well your online program was, students were not online engaged the same amount of time as they would have been if we were in the building and going through the regular periods and, and the like. So yeah. if they were showing the aptitude to grab content, do the work, give it back. Why do we go back to 180 school days or, you know, however many hours, like who said that that is the measurement of, Oh, you've learned it when you've put in that much work, as opposed to once you're able to do this and do this, then you can show, that you can do this done get this done so there's additional space and time and content that could be added to keep the young people active and and engaged and not being bored right so what i'm hearing is a lot of the teaching uh experience needs to and the learning experience needs to incorporate a lot of project-based learning I, I believe so. I, I feel like this is the opportunity for education as an industry and mm -hmm. how it's being delivered to catch up with right. the other industries in our ecosystem. Just as these major companies are reevaluating, what does our workday look like? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like every, if everybody else is doing this, Houses of worship, faith, what everybody's like, whoa, what does this look like moving forward? Right. But educators seem to be beating the door down to go back to the way that it was. Right. Why is that? Right. So at certain levels of school, it's like, okay, do they really need to be here five days? Mm -hmm. As we're rolling out our entrepreneurship curriculum, like trust and believe, I am all about the tech spark plug. So... <laughs> Imagine those 11th graders that, oh, do they need to be in school for five days or could they be interning for two? Yeah. Connecting with some of the entrepreneurs that they met through the curriculum and actually working on building their business. And then you, school administrator, figure out how to give them their credits that they need to graduate. But now they are actually doing real work. That's right. And I'm saying real work in a sense of gaining experience. So then when I walk across that stage with my diploma, I really have a resume with some things that are on it. And then I got a business plan. I got a slide deck. I got real stuff. Like I need extra hands to walk across the stage with everything I got mm -hmm. from my high school experience. That's right. So it's like, you know, so, so some people might be listening and be like, yo, this, this is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Why not? Because I could I could tell you, I know there's a lot of people that I know who work for different corporations and they are doing whatever is necessary That's to right. work in a matter that now is more conducive and work for them. Right. Like they're negotiating. Like I've talked to some people who are even willing, like, I don't care if it shaves a little off my salary because for my sanity. 
Mm-hmm. If I can work this way, because I've already proven to myself, I really didn't need everything that I thought I needed. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you know what I mean? So because it's like, oh, you know, if, if my commute to work is an hour each way. So that's 10 hours a week that now I gain back. Mm-hmm. So that's 40 hours a month. That is almost two full 24 hour days that I have gained that I can do what builds and edifies me. Is it wrong for children to do that same exercise? Not at all. And I'm really hoping that we can. I want to shout out our partners, actually. Shopify is one of our amazing corporate partners. And as you were talking about, reorganizing their day to suit what's happening. They were one of the first companies that I heard of that shut down all of their physical spaces and said, we're all working from home, period. Yeah. And it was amazing because Shopify is a large company and they have beautiful workspaces, three, I believe in Toronto and I believe one in Ottawa. And I thought to myself, man, I'm going to miss that space. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine, imagine the people who actually work in the space. Yes. But now they get to have more time with family. Now they get to have more time for self-care. And we need to take that experience and that example and bring that into not only the classroom but also how we engage with educators and how we create that space and framework for others and giving them examples of how students can move forward and how students can engage in learning in a completely different way than what they have been trained to do. Imagine students going to school for three days and interning for Mm -hmm. two right? Imagine the type of learning, the maturity level that would, the rigor that would increase with that type of project-based learning or experiential learning when the students are actually physically doing the work. And when we talk about high school preparation and having students ready for the real world, this is why we engage our corporate sponsors in the work that we do. Exactly. Right? This is why we engage Shopify and RBC and TikTok and IBM and Interact. This is why we engage all of these organizations and entrepreneurial-led organizations like Pixel Dreams. Like, we bring in all of those thought leaders to redesign what learning looks and feels like in traditional spaces. So sometimes, you know, we're talking and we're we're all about innovation and, you know, shaking things up. And I know that there are people who are listening and thinking, wow, like what can I do? And it just seems like such a huge beast to tackle. Yes, yes. At the end of the day, <laughs> one person can't tear down a system that has been built for hundreds of years that has been systemically Uh, position in a way to uplift certain people and oppress others. But what we can do as individuals is we can create change within our own spaces. Yes. So while we may not be able to change everything overnight as much as we would love to, that change is definitely coming. 
But in the meantime, we can take what we're learning. We can take knowledge from non-traditional learning spaces and bring that into the yeah. classrooms to elevate our students and our teachers. So we're so excited about the work that we're doing with all of our partners to be able to do that work that's so necessary for our students. And and I think it would be amazing if, you know, and this is something you and I can undertake. You know, we 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 we're a dynamic duo who is always growing. Yeah. Uh, to begin to work with parents, I really think parents can sit down, get a clearer understanding of the way that their children learn, mm -hmm. what's best for them, what have they learned about them, what have they learned about themselves, and go back to school as a parent and ask different questions. That's right. Like you're not just going to have me fill out the emergency cards and limit me to the open house. Like you're not going to do that. We are going to be partners in this. I'm not just dropping off my child anymore. I've gained a whole different level of appreciation for education, not schooling, for mm -hmm. education as it plays out with my child. If I'm in a position at my job, I'm going to be, begin to lobby at your job. Hey, do we have an internship program? Because now they, now people have become more comfortable doing things virtually. So now there's things that you could do that before logistically would just be so challenging. Right. Like, oh, you know, if there is a, a law firm or, or a sports firm or something and they wanted to have an open house with some young people, the old way is like, oh, we got to get permission slips and we got to do this, this, that and the other way. It's like, OK, now we can say, listen, everybody log on at four o'clock and this is how we're going to do it. It's going to be interactive and and this, that and the other. So we have to start thinking that way. I think as as families, as communities, I think. If you are part of a, a, a young, a youth serving organization, you need to maybe be the initiator of how we're going to connect with schools. I just feel the community as a whole needs to come together and be like, listen, these children are all of ours. We're not just going to pass them to you and just leave you to do whatever you think is best for them because now we fully understand. We thought we knew before, but now we fully understand y'all don't have the monopoly of being all knowing on what's best for our children. So either we're gonna be in this together or, or our activism will be to replace you. Because in certain communities, schools are on ropes because it might be like, you know what? This pod thing works. I figured out this homeschooling thing. I figured mm -hmm. out online schooling. I ain't sending my kid back because I got the resources where they don't have to go. Right. So. And that's a reality for some parents. I know I've considered that as well um, for my child, you know, because we're able to then control and create that space that our kids need in order to thrive because we've been in it now we're, mm -hmm. we're engaged in it we're educators too and we understand now what it is and so as a parent now i feel that i have so much more to advocate on behalf of my child and to intentionally place her in learning spaces where the administrators and the teachers are open to innovation are open to creating yeah learning opportunities 
for my child as an individual rather than a collective. Yep. Because oftentimes that's where things get lost, especially, you know, when you have children that require, you know, certain types of support. Supports, yes. Right? Yep. It becomes it becomes a challenge. Yeah, they 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 just they just learn different. Right. They've they, and you think about it. So now for almost a year and a half, they've been in a different environment. That's right. And we all know the development that takes place during these early years is accelerated. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, the difference between you and I during the time of the pandemic and our development is not comparable to your daughters. Mm-hmm. You, you know, because if, 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 if a child is 10, that means more than one tenth of their life has been in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Let's just, let's play with numbers for a second. That, yeah. If one tenth of my life was spent in a pandemic, the pandemic would have lasted for over five years. Mm-hmm. So we can't just put our go back to go and move forward where for this these children it's been traumatic right and then if you add on like oh imagine this happened as i was supposed to transition from middle school to high school right or from high school to college or from elementary to middle school or imagine the babies who were supposed to start school right but then they were home for another year and so now you got one baby who was home and their parents run a tech ed company. <laughs> so the type of education they're going to get yeah, that may be different than those who parents may be a manager at a store. Right. Both parents are great, but mm-hmm. it's different. So then if I'm a teacher receiving these two children, I can't look at them the same. Yeah. I, can, I can love them the same, right. but I shouldn't look at them the same. Right. I should get to know them and get to know their families and get to know their experiences and then let them have fun together because honestly we can learn from how children interact with each other because it's just like hey can i share and then they just do what they do um so it's a difference between looking at them the same and loving them the same and i think it's worth repeating that we need to we need to love them and then saying that loving them the same does not mean that the love shows up the same way. It's loving <laughs> them with the same intentionality because then you're falling into the pit of equality right. versus equity. And as you were saying, sometimes mm-hmm. young people need different things, just like we as adults. Like, you know, we forget, we forget how individualistic we are as adults. Right. You know, it's like, listen, we'll we'll get on a meeting. And if today just ain't the day, I'm not turning my camera on and we just flow. <laughs> but yeah. let a student do that. Oh my goodness. Mm, they are disrespectful. They yeah. are rude. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's just like, come on. They're humans too. They're humans too. And uh, one of the things that excites me about the work that we're doing with Sparkplug which is our AI platform that we are designing to personalize education for K-12 students. What excites me about that is taking in everything that the students are learning and how they learn and bringing that into 
the learning space, bringing that into what curriculum looks like and how it's built and, and how lesson plans then are framed based on those individual students and having the technology to be able to support that is something that we're so excited about launching um, this year. So if there are any educators who are listening, um, who are interested, please uh, visit our website at sparkplug.tech and sign up for the demo. We'd love to be able to show you the work that we're doing, how we're taking all of what we have done in person with hip hop pedagogy and culturally responsive, culturally relevant pedagogy, building that into multimedia content that is designed specifically for students based on their individual learning type. We'd love to be able to share that with you. Timothy, we are running out of time and I want to ask you to leave our listeners with one final thought. And what would that be? The final thought I would leave is if you're in education or a parent, what have you, the better you know yourself, the more in tune you'll be with the people that you serve. So the more that you understand yourself, the more that you're willing to be vulnerable about what it is that you need, the more sensitive and in tune you'll be with those that you serve. We often talk about equity. We often talk about, you know, inclusion, but at times we still look at the young people and the families that we serve as being so different than us, but yet we want to talk about equity. So if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, what makes us feel safe? What makes us feel secure? What makes us feel love? What type of opportunities we're looking for that makes us feel valued? And let that be your litmus test for your curriculum. Let that be your litmus test for your policies and how you do this work. You have to see doing this work as the process of you becoming your better self. If not, then there's nothing that we can say that's really going to change you. Everyone, this is Timothy Jones. Thank you so much. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank it is. Thank you so much for sharing all of your passion, all of your knowledge with myself and all of our listeners. Thank you to everyone who Thank you. In. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I, I don't take opportunities to share for granted. I, I, I'm humbled and honored at the same time. And, and I just want to appreciate you, uh, Tamar, for honestly discerning the spirit and in the tweet and forging <laughs> a relationship that has definitely enhanced uh, my life, my work, and, and my families. And I, I can't wait for us to get together in person. I mean, so yeah, but I, I just wanted to extend that appreciation. And I really do. Um, I believe in the power of the word. I believe in the power of storytelling. I believe in the power of seed planting. So the right people will hear this and they'll tell somebody who'll tell somebody and God's will will be done. That's right. You're very welcome, Timothy. It's always been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much again. Okay. Take care, everyone.